we're going to uh, make our way to our text for today. So we're going to be in Luke 23. If you'd like to turn there, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the wall. Uh, but I want to share a thought with you this morning. We're going to call the other thief. The other thief. And so as we begin, let me ask you a question, and, and you can help me out here. How many of you have ever had something taken from you or stolen from you? Anybody want to elaborate? What did you have stolen? What was it? A wallet or a billfold, okay. Anybody else ever had something stolen from you? Yeah. Okay. So I saw a lot of hands. You just can't remember? You just don't want to say it out loud. Yeah. A bike. Yeah, we've had two bikes stolen from our house. We've got one of those outdoor sheds, and people have, you know, went through it to see if there was anything in there that they could find useful for them. Multiple occasions, I come home and our door's just wide open. There's nothing in there that really matters, but you're welcome to it. Anybody else had something stolen before? A jack? The jack was gone. Huh. Yeah, that's pretty rough. Anybody else here? We won't go too long. Just feel free to participate. All right, if you've got something and this was stolen from me. Yes. Your smelly pencils? Yeah. Somebody at school take them? Yeah. I know. Stuff you care about, people take it from you. You, just, you don't forget those things, right? Because you, you want it. It's mine, and somebody took it, and so. Uh, all right, so, yes. Your art supplies. Man. We have to have some conversations here, don't we? Was that school also? Yeah, it happens. Just go through your desk. You know what? I had somebody go through my desk one time. They stole my guitar. They stole some electronics. So it happens. I mean, people, they've broken here and they stole things. Uh, people stole these. When you leave today, if you go out this way, the back entrance, there's three or four air conditioners sitting there. Drove in one day and they were all gone. One on the other side was gone. They're massive. And somebody decided that they needed some of the parts to, I'm sure it was to fix their air conditioner. But irregardless, or regardless rather, not irregardless. Uh, we've, we've all understood what it means to have something stolen from us. And uh, it's a pretty big business in this country. Did you know that? And there are people who make their living as thieves. And so there's this organization that's called Protect America. And uh, they have done some research on uh, thieves, burglars, robberies. And here's some statistics that they've come up with. And see if this uh, surprises you guys any. One thing they say is this, a burglary occurs every 15 seconds in the United States. Did you lock your house before you left this morning? Is your car locked? Like right now, you're locking it, aren't you? You're hitting the key fob. Is that thing locked? <laughs> every 15 seconds. And it results in over $4 billion of personal property being stolen. That's a pretty good business. 
It says the average burglary amounts to about $2,000 in property loss, and 58% of burglaries take place in the daytime. Uh, so we've had some experience with that as well. 12% have admitted, burglars that is, have admitted to using a stolen car during a burglary. And they say burglars are three times more likely to go into a house that does not have a security system. So can you guess what Protect America does? They sell security systems, all right? Uh, so, uh, but these stats are verified by other co uh, companies in our organizations, rather, in our, in our country. But there's one statistic here I want to share with you that really leads us into today. And it's this, of, of all the burglaries, of all the burglars they interviewed, only 25% of them said they did it alone. Only 25% did it alone. So that means there's always what? That's right. There's 75% of the time there is another thief. Right? You're exactly right. So there's always the other thief. At least 75% of the time according to these people that they interviewed. So... The main difference maybe between some of you in this room and others in this room is, is Jesus Christ. And so don't think, well, somebody's better or they've got more figured out or they think they're better or they're smarter. No, the difference is Christ and it's grace. Okay? So can you be honest with me? And I'll be honest with you. I've asked you, have you ever had anything stolen? Let's flip the question. Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever been the thief? Uh, <laughs> so you've never stolen anything. All right, a few of us have stolen things, and that's great. I'm not going to put you in a category. Let me tell you a little bit about this other thief. When I was in middle school, I had a friend named Brian. Brian had an older brother named Gary. And uh, Gary was a junior in high school. Well, one night before bed... It may have been after bed. Honestly, I can't really remember. But Gary was pretty good at getting out of his house quietly without his parents knowing. So I stayed the night with Brian. His older brother Gary said, hey, let's go out in the neighborhood for a little bit. So we go walking around the neighborhood. I didn't have a clue what we're doing. And Gary's got a flat uh, screwdriver, flat tip screwdriver with him. Like, Man, what are we doing? So we walk up to this house, get up beside a vehicle. You know what we did? At least what Gary did. He took his screwdriver, and on the side of these really pretty cars, it says Chevy, or it says Ford, or it says Camaro, or it says whatever your car is. It's got that little emblem. And Gary went over there and stuck his flat-tip screwdriver under that emblem, popped it off, tossed it to us, said, hey, hold that. So I'm holding this emblem like, what are we doing? I've never done anything like this before. I wasn't a good kid, but I'd never done this before. And so we make our way to a few different cars, a few different houses, and we come to this one truck. The Dodge Ram used to make the Dodge, and it had the big Ram on the front of it. You guys, you remember that? I don't know if they still do or not, but we walked up to this, and it had this big Ram's head, like the size of my fist, on the front of this truck. And he stuck his screwdriver down in there and popped that thing off, and the alarm went off. And we took off booking it. All right? And he tossed us a few of these. But we ran back home and kind of laughed it off. And I looked in his room, and he's got a lot of these all over his room. Uh, now, I didn't pop anything off that night. But you know what I was? 
That's right. I was the other thief. My hand, my fingerprints were all over those car ornaments, those hood ornaments. Right? Some of you are getting ticked off right now, aren't you? Because you're like, is that my neighborhood? This was in Decatur, Illinois, all right? I promise we didn't do this to you. Uh, and so I know what it is to be the other thief. Right? I know what it is to be um, an accomplice or to be guilty, even though maybe I hadn't done what somebody else had done that seemed to be worse. Uh, so with that, I just want us to head towards this conversation then about another thief. In Luke 23, we're going to find a couple thieves. And we're going to listen kind of to their conversation. We're going to look at the crowd around them. And this is going to take place when Jesus was being crucified. And ultimately what happens here uh, at the end of the conversation with these guys. And I, I've prayed and I pray today that this will be something that maybe resonates in your heart, in your mind, uh, just as it has for me, that this would be something God could use to help you understand and know him better today. So I understand you've never been the other thief. I was just trying to set up the message for today. Okay, Luke 23, let's go that route. And here's what's going on. Jesus has just been falsely accused. All right, well, he was betrayed and falsely accused. He was taken from house to house. He was tried kind of in a court setting. And no one could find any reason to kill him. The Jewish people wanted him killed, but they didn't have the authority to do so. So they had to get Roman approval, and the Romans couldn't find anything wrong with him. But the Jewish people were relentless. This guy is a blasphemer. He said that he is the son of God, and that is the biggest sin on the planet. And according to our law, that's punishable by death. And so ultimately, the Romans are going to give him up to the Jewish people and say, do with him whatever you want to. And they're going to end up having him beaten. And they dressed him up kind of like, you know, my girls have these American girl dolls. They dress him up in clothes and kind of play with them. Uh, that's kind of what they did to Jesus. They put this robe on him. They put a crown of thorns on his head, uh, like a staff in his hand. And they mocked him like he's a make-believe king. You know, we've just beat you up. You're bleeding, black eyes. We flogged you, so you're, you're just a mess. And it's just a mockery. Right? So they're bowing to him, like making fun of him. Yeah, here's some supposed king. Well, they take the, the, the robe off him. They're going to end up putting the cross on him. And he's going to start making his way up, up the hill carrying his cross. And he's going to do that with two other guys. And so let's, let's look here today at these two others. It says there were two other men, and they were both criminals. And they were also led out with him, that's Jesus, to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. So Jesus is crucified, so are the two criminals. One's hanging on one side and one's on the other. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Uh, that's a fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Testament. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him, and they said, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. And the soldiers, they also came up and mocked him, and they offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. That's what he was dying for. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? 
Save yourself and us. So who's insulting him? All right, so here it's one of the criminals. One of the criminals. So keep that in the, in the front of your mind here. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? You're dying just like he's dying. We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So I want to look at a few things here that these thieves remind us of as it relates to Jesus hanging on a cross and what that means to you and I today. And uh, we'll make our way through. So you can follow along if you've got a bulletin. One, two, three, there you can. You don't have to at all. But if you'd like to, you're more than welcome to. Uh, so, so let's roll here. The, the thieves initially remind us that we are in a desperate position apart from Christ. The thieves remind us that we are in a desperate position apart from Christ. Now, as I look around the room this morning, I watch some of you guys come in, um, walking across the parking lot, watch you interacting with family and friends out here, just even in this room. I didn't see anybody that looked desperate. Like if I was to ask you to describe yourself with one word this morning, I don't know if you would have said, Corey, I'm, I'm desperate. You might say, listen, my life is good. Maybe there's some things that could be better, but I don't really see myself as somebody who's in a desperate position. I don't really think I fit with what you're talking about here this morning. The truth about desperation is that sometimes we don't know that we're desperate. Sometimes we're in a position of desperation, we just don't even know it. And so let's, let's prove that here according to the text. Verse 34, Jesus is going to say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. So initially and usually, typically, this is applied to the people that crucified Jesus. Right? So these guys that dressed him up in a robe, these guys that made fun of him, these guys that put nails through his wrists and his feet, these guys that are mocked, Jesus is saying to them, or concerning them to his father, don't hold this sin against them. They just, they don't know what they're doing. Right? They were in a desperate position. They just didn't know it. But this same phrase, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, could be applied to the thieves. See, when you go to Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, so there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew and John were disciples. Mark got most of his information from Peter. Luke interviewed eyewitnesses, and he wrote down what he found to be true. I've verified these things, and they're true. And they all tell the story of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. When you read about Jesus, his story from Matthew, initially what you see is that it's plural. The criminals insulted him. When you get to Mark, you'll see the rebels, plural, were insulting him. The same ones who were being crucified with him. So initially, guy on the right hand, the guy on the left, the two thieves, both of them are insulting Jesus. So they don't know. They don't know that they're in a desperate situation. Now, just because I don't know doesn't mean that I am not accountable. Officer, I didn't see a speed limit sign. I'm doing 70 and a 30, and you pulled me over. I didn't see a 30-mile-per-hour sign. Would he say, okay, I'm not going to give you a ticket then? No, because I'm still accountable even though I didn't know. 
So I can plead ignorance all day long, but that doesn't mean that I get to go free. Just because I don't know something doesn't mean that there isn't something that's absolutely true. So these guys weren't unaccountable. They were simply blind. They were blind to what was true. Whether that's the thieves or the crowd that had gathered to mock him, they did not understand that they were in a desperate situation. So let's talk about desperation for a minute. What does it mean that we're in a desperate position? Right? According to the Bible, everybody is desperate apart from Christ. And why is that? See, when you go to the cross, there's three crosses up there. You see the one in the middle, it's magnified. When you look at the magnified cross, there you find why there's desperation. It's because of who that cross represents. Everybody, everybody who is somebody that's not believed in Christ, has not received them as their Savior, you are apart from Christ, you're separated from Christ because of your sin. And so I was in that very same position. And the only way to fix that was to get perfect because God doesn't hang around with people who aren't perfect. Jesus did, but that was to provide a way for imperfect people to become perfect, right? Now, I'm not perfect on this side of things. You look at me and go, I'm perfect. I look in the mirror and go, imperfect. But when God looks at me through Jesus, he says, you're perfect because of my son. See, Jesus was perfect. So the desperate position that we're all in is that We've all sinned and our sin separates us from God because God can't deal with imperfection. And God was not willing for that separation to exist and so he gave perfection to provide a way for our desperation so we can have a relationship and forgiveness and salvation. All sorts of wonderful things that we celebrate in the resurrected Christ. So the only way to be restored in a relationship is through Jesus. And here's what John wrote. Remember, this is a guy who walked with Jesus. When you get to the end of John's writings, he says, I've, I testify to these. I've seen these things. I'm a witness. I'm writing what, this is my life story with Jesus. John wrote and said this about Jesus. Jesus answered, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. Uh, no one comes to the Father except how? Through me. This is what Jesus said. Right? Now, whether we believe it or not, that, that ball's in our court, but what we have to be honest about is what did Jesus say according to the Scriptures? And what Jesus said is, the only way to get made right with God is through Jesus. Sin separates us, and we'll never be made whole or be restored to relationship with the Father apart from faith in Christ. The Bible also tells us that every person will give an account of their life. That means you and I, you know, there's a pretty good statistic out there it says it's one, I think it's one out of one currently. One out of every one person dies. True? That's a pretty good statistic. Everybody's going to die. What the Bible says is that after we die, everyone comes before God and gives an account of their life. So if we all die, and if that's true then the question we're going to be asked is, what did we do with Jesus? The only way to the Father is through Him. No one comes to the Father, Jesus said, except through me. And so if I have not put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior, I will not get heaven. I will not be forgiven. I will forever be separated from God in a place the Bible calls hell, right? which is a place of eternal misery, 
uh, torment, regret, things of that nature. Right? So all I'm telling you is what the Bible tells us this morning. Apart from Christ, everyone is in this position of hopelessness. We are desperate apart from him. And so the thieves remind us of that. The thieves remind us that sometimes we don't even know it. We've read a Bible and we've sat in church services and we've had family members or friends talk to us about this Jesus guy and we've just said it's not true and I'm in a desperate situation and I don't even know it. You know, it's like I'm out fishing in the ocean. A big wave comes and knocks me out of my boat and just skins my leg up really bad and so I'm just bleeding but I'm floating and I think I'm okay. I just don't realize that there's just a bunch of sharks schooling underneath me. Now, if you were above me in a boat, you'd say, man, buddy, you're in a lot of trouble at this point. But if you're not there to help me see that, I don't have a clue. I'm just floating around, right, enjoying the water. Am I in a desperate situation? Absolutely. What's the problem? I just don't know it. And as these thieves are on the right and the left of Jesus, they don't know it. And so they're insulting him. They're mocking him. They're making fun of him just like most of the other people in the crowd. So the thieves remind us everybody apart from Christ is in a desperate situation. Believer or unbeliever, we've all been in that same boat. What else do they tell us? The thieves are also going to tell us not only are we in it individually, but we've got to learn to see the desperate need of, of others right, who are in the same position that we find ourselves in. And so I can look at myself and say, okay, I'm desperate. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I already expressed to you that I was an accomplice at stealing car ornaments. Okay, that makes me a thief. That's a sin. And so I'm accountable. All right, and apart from Christ, I die and come before him. And God says, did you receive my son? If I haven't, I'd say no. And he'd say, all right, then there's eternal separation. But if I have, now there is access. And access to the relationship with the Father um, and this eternal life, which is in the place the Bible describes as heaven. But what the text is going to call us to do today is look beyond ourselves. So it's not just admitting that I'm desperate. It's looking at other people with the same kind of desperate eyes. You know, there's some things that I find interesting in this story. Lots of people on the hill that day. Lots of people watching. Right? So remember, Jesus carried his cross up a hill, as did the other two criminals. And they were crucified up on a hill. So sitting on that hill that day, lots of people. And let's kind of recap some of the people who are sitting there and what they were doing. The Bible tells us this. There were some people who stood and just watched while other people sat and watched. It was kind of like taking in a movie. Okay? So I am going to go watch the latest um, Star Wars movie. I'm not going to, but if I did, I might go and sit there and enjoy it, right? Take in some popcorn like this is entertainment. Some people stood and watched as entertainment. Some people sat on a hill and watched as though this was just something to enjoy. The Bible says other people walked by and shook their heads, right? And the reason they're shaking their heads is because they think Jesus is a joke. Like, what a joke, man. You are... The Messiah, so you said. You said you, you could tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. And you're dying on a cross. What a joke. And so they walk by and just kind of scoff him, just shaking their heads like, this is ridiculous. The Bible also tells us that the soldiers were making fun of Jesus. Like he was being belittled. 
they were playing a game for his clothes. You know, like we might go a few miles over here and put some money in a machine and pull a handle. And just, we're just playing a game. That's all they were doing. They were playing a game with his clothes while he was suffering. They were suffering and dying on those crosses. The Bible also tells us then that there's a crowd of religious leaders. And what they were doing, they were kind of going throughout the crowd and they were just reminding them that this guy is a fraud. And they were stirring it. They were kind of getting everybody mad. You ever been around somebody that's a pot stirrer? Oh, I, uh. And all they're trying to do is just amplify the situation. Let's just make it as bad as we can. Man, I can't stand that. It's just a pet peeve of mine. Be a solution, all right? Be a problem solver. Don't be a problem maker. Figure it out. Come on, anybody can identify problems. But all the religious leaders are doing, they're out here stirring the pot. This Jesus is a fraud. Remember what he said, and this is a good thing. And so they're all getting angry and agitated, and some of them are still like, crucify him. This is exactly what should be happening. And as we said already, there are thieves on either side of him who are insulting him. So lots of people there, right? The Bible also tells us this. Jesus' mother was there. It says she was near the cross. It's in the book of John. It says some of the disciples were there. One of those mentioned was John. Because Jesus says to his mother and to John, now John, take care of her, right? She'll be your mother and he'll be your son. He'll look after you. So some of his disciples and followers are near the cross as well. And lots of people. But what I find interesting about all that is this. Not one of those followers of Christ is talking to the thieves. At least not recorded. How many disciples were there at this point? Initially there were 12. Judas has already hung himself, so there's 11. You know what these disciples had seen? They'd seen Jesus heal blind people. They had listened to Jesus teach in ways that just blew the minds of the scholars. Not too long before this, they watched him bring a dead man back to life named Lazarus. The whole town was buzzing about it. That's part of the reason that Jesus is ultimately crucified here. So these disciples had walked with him. They'd seen these things. Jesus had taught them and equipped them, and he had sent them out. And you know what he said? Go tell people that the kingdom of God is at hand, so you need to repent of your sins, otherwise you're going to perish. And here's two guys hanging on a cross, perishing. And they're silent. And sometimes we think, oh, I'll talk to my neighbor later. I'll talk to my family member later, like we've got time. These guys are hours away from death, and those who have hope are looking at them, watching them die. No one says a word to the thief, except for The other thief. One thief cries out to the other. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. So initially it was both. Somewhere along the way, one of them started to realize that this guy is the Messiah. And I don't know how I know, but there is something here that's drawing me to trust in Jesus. And so now it's only one of the criminals insulting him. And he says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. Save us. But the guy on the other side, the other thief, criminal, rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? What he's saying there is, I fear God. Like there's been a shift, there's been a change in me. I know I was part of the chorus that was saying crucify him a few hours ago. 
That's not who this guy is. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We're punished justly because we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, this man, he's done nothing wrong. And how awesome is that? One thief crying out to another. See, somewhere in the process here, this thief has realized that Jesus is the Messiah and he's put his hope in him. He's moved from being separated now to being reconciled. And so instead of insulting Jesus, now with somebody who's found their desperation satisfied in Jesus, he sees other desperate people. And he sees this other criminal hanging on the cross and he says, listen, you're dying. This is the end for you. It's going to be the end for me as well. We're getting what our deeds deserve. Fear God. It was a plea. He's asking and he's seeing the desperate need not only of himself but of the other person. And so he's looking beyond himself to plead with others to fear God. See, those who understand that they're in desperate position and those who put their faith in Jesus Christ to have that desperation satisfied, we then look at other people and we see they're just as desperate as we are. We're just as desperate as we were. And so that's why we preach. That's why we teach. That's why we pray. That's part of why we serve and do the things we do because people are in desperate situation. And apart from Christ, friend, that's not the way to relationship with the Father. That's not the way to life or forgiveness. It all happens in Jesus Christ. And so we share as people who see the desperate position of others. And then third here and last, the thieves remind us that there's a solution to our desperation. And that solution is available today. Now think with me for a minute. How terrible would it be in a desperate situation to know that you're desperate, but have no hope? I mean, it's, it's one thing for me to be swimming in the ocean with that bleeding leg with the sharks around me and I don't have a clue about it. I'm just oblivious. I don't know. But I'm telling you, I would be swimming a lot differently if I could look down and see. What I didn't know, now I know. Now I'm, that's, having, that's bearing weight on how I think and how I live. Man, how... How terrible to be in that situation and have no hope. Nobody around. No one can help. It's just me and them. That's a terrible position to be in. And listen, that's how a lot of people live their life on this planet. Some people don't know they're desperate. Some people know they're desperate, but they're not going to look to Jesus to be their hope. And what you're resolving to be is someone who knows they're desperate but is hopeless. What a miserable way to live. And the thing is, we're not supposed to live that way. And that's not the case in our story here today. And so let's go back and see it. Same two thieves. One said to the other, now the one thief who was telling the other thief, fear God, now he's turning his eyes to Jesus, to that middle cross. And he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember who? Remember me. 
Listen, if all that was necessary was for me to call out somebody's name in prayer and they got saved, man, I'd go through all the phone books. I'd go knock on every person's door. Tell me your name. I'd ask every one of you in this room, what is your name? And I'd pray your name. And if that's all it took, if I could do that for you, I'd do it. The thief doesn't say, hey, Jesus, remember us. Because he couldn't say, remember us. All he could say is, remember me. Remember me, Jesus, when I come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What he says is, your desperation is solved now. Now, I, I wish that we could see, we're such a visual society, I wish that we could see, picture what that thief looked like after Jesus said those words. I mean, in my mind's eye, I just imagine peace coming over him as he's still struggling to get breath. Right? The way the cross works, it's just a slow death of suffocation. So you hang, and what I was told, what I heard here again recently, was that as you hang, all you can do is inhale. And to be able to exhale, you have to lower your chest muscles. So you have to be able to pull yourself up. And that takes a lot of strength. And it's just a constant weakening. And you pull yourself up to exhale. And you keep doing that over and over again until you have no longer the strength to pull yourself up and you die of suffocation. Right? It's, it's a torturous way to die. And by the way, the cross is always, the main goal of the cross is always death. It's never just about torture. Some people say Jesus didn't die on the cross. Lots of medical support for that. The Bible obviously teaches us that. But the ultimate goal of the cross wasn't just torture. torture. It, was, it was death. And Jesus is saying, you're going to be with me here in paradise shortly. You're about to die. And so am I. So is this other thief. But today, you, you'll be with me. All right? Today, you'll be with me. And so that tells us some things. One thing that tells us is this. God's love is immeasurable. His love towards all people is immeasurable. Some people might even call it reckless. His desire to satisfy the desperate need that everybody has, what he has said and shown is, there's no link that I wouldn't go to for you. As far as is necessary, I'll go that far for you. And what was necessary was something perfect, someone perfect had to die because obviously we're not. And in return, he's not asked anything other than for us to confess, for us to submit. When I realize I'm in a desperate situation, now I'm responsible to do something about that. So what's my responsibility? Does the Bible say go to church and your sins will be removed? No. You can go to church all day, every day and spend eternity in hell. All right? Why go to church then? Well, that's a good topic for another day. Does it say, make sure you're doing good? And that's the main thing. Make sure you're holding down the four, that you're doing pretty good. People think highly of you. Is that what it says? 
You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. The truth of the matter is he just very simply extended grace to us. What grace is just, it's undeserved. The thief on the cross, he got it. And he said to the other thief, we're both just getting what we deserve. This guy's innocent, but you and I, we're getting what our deeds deserve. It's justice. We've sinned, we're criminals, we don't know what their sin was, but obviously it was worthy of death. So we're going to get justice. And yet God was not content with justice. He could have been because we've all sinned, but what he says is, I, I want you. And there's no length that I, would, that I would not go for you. And so he's done that on our behalf through the gift of his son. And what he said to the thief is that that is immediate. That's today. That's right now. And so the gift that God offers to satisfy our desperation is still available today just like it was to that thief on the cross. So in our story today, how many thieves did we have in the Bible text? Yeah. All right, so there's two thieves. There's really three. All right. I want to talk to you just a minute about the other thief. You're absolutely right. There are two thieves in our story, one on the right, one on the left. But that middle cross, you see that middle cross? That represents somebody who died for every other thief. So that middle cross represents me. I'm the other thief. And when Jesus died on that cross, he paid the price for my sin so my sin could be forgiven. And what he's asked from me, acknowledge that you're a sinner. Don't act like you're not desperate when you are. At least let that pique your curiosity and pursue that some more. At least be honest and open and just, God, if, if you're God and if you've really died for me, help me see and know and understand that. Because if I am desperate, I don't want to live my life in such a way and I certainly don't want to die in such a way where I'm apart from that in eternally desperation. I would just urge you to at least go to that point rather than just drawing a line and saying, no, thank you. See, we're the other thief. A long time ago, God helped me see that I was in a desperate situation. And I did the only thing I could do. I didn't start going to church. I didn't start dressing nicer. I didn't clean up my language. I didn't start being nice. I didn't start giving money to the church and think that took care of things. I did the only thing that God said I could do, and that was receive his son. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. You don't get to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. That's the teaching. That's the message. And so I'm that thief. And maybe this morning you're starting to identify yourself as that thief. Listen, one of the things I love, it's not my job to convince you. The job of a pastor is not to be a salesman where you buy the bottom line or the pitch. You say, oh, that was kind of crafty how we've become the other thief on the middle cross. That didn't matter. I can't persuade you. I can't make you become desperate or see how desperate you are. And I don't have to. It's not my job. But I've prayed and asked the one who will open eyes to do that very thing.
And so maybe that's beginning to happen in you. I'm starting to feel like there is some desperation in my soul that I've never taken care of. I'm starting to wonder, am I, am I separate right now? What I've been banking on, does that stand up to what the Bible teaches? Does that stand up to truth and reality? My prayer is that you would just be willing to respond to whatever's possibly working in you here this morning. So if that's working in you, the thing is this, and what do I do? One thief to another? You respond. Everybody on the planet, everybody on the planet does something with Jesus. Everybody. You'll either reject him as the Messiah, you'll reject him as the Savior, you'll say he was, he, okay, I'll give it to you, he lived, taught some good stuff, there's no way the guy came back to life. That just doesn't happen. You can reject Jesus or you can receive Jesus. And that's the, that's the two options. And everybody on the planet will make one choice or the other. This morning, I just want you to consider Christ. Maybe it's been a while for you. I've heard the stories of Christ and I know that he died and I believe that to be true, but it just hasn't, had any influence on my life recently. Maybe today as God just draw that, draw me back to the things that matter the most. I want to encourage you to respond today. If you are somebody, you've already responded. You know that you're desperate and you've received what Jesus has done on your behalf and you know you're part of the family of God. I want to ask you to pray and ask God to help us see people just like that other thief did. The crowd of disciples watching people die were silent. They didn't say a word. It was the other thief who saw the desperate situation of someone else and who begged and pleaded with him to fear God. Maybe your prayer today is, God, I've become complacent. I've become soft idol towards people who are desperate, who are away from you. Maybe you've written somebody off. Listen, I prayed for, I've talked to them a long time and they told me if you talk to me about that again, we're no longer friends. We're not family. Don't mention that name to me anymore. And so maybe you're doing what may be the right thing to do. You're stepping back and just watching. And keep praying. Keep looking for opportunities. And then demonstrate that love in ways that are kind, that reflect the Father. Right? These, these acts of love, the Bible says the world knows that we belong to Christ by how we love others. And so maybe they're closed to the word, but maybe they're open to an act of kindness. Just a, a simple act of love.